Welcome everyone to another episode of the Immigrant's Journey podcast. I am your host, Carmen Arat, and today we are happy to have with us Lorena Del Pino, who was born and raised in Mexico City. She went to Catholic school growing up and graduated from communications and filmmaking in Anhuac University in Mexico City. After college, she decided to pursue acting and started auditioning in Mexico. And not long after that, she applied for a scholarship at NYFA for acting and she got it. So she packed her bags and moved to New York when she was 24. And it was a dream come true. The hardest part of her journey came after graduation when she decided to apply for an artist visa. After six months of waiting for the answer from immigration back in Mexico, she got approved and made her big move. Lorena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's so good to be in your podcast as a guest. Cheers. And um, so tell me a little bit about your life back home in Mexico before you decided to move to the U.S. Sure. Um, I moved to the U.S. when I was 24. So I pretty much was born and raised there and then went through college. And my life in Mexico um, was pretty much, you know, after college, like look for a job or because I wanted to pursue acting, you know, I started auditioning and I, I didn't think of moving to New York as an option until um, I started working in a movie, not as an actor. Um, I was assisting the set designer of the movie and I started working there for free for that film after graduating. And I met a guy, uh, a good friend of mine now, and he said, Oh, I applied for an acting scholarship for New York. And, um, and I got it. So I'm going to move. And it really hit my nerve. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I thought we were already grandparents to start studying acting. I mean, we're (laughs) 24 and he was my same age. I was like, we're so old for this. I don't know if I have like the energy, the money to, you know, to go through education again. I mean, I was just out of college. I was like, I mean, I've studied all my life. I don't know if I can afford to be a student again. Um, But anyway, I, you know, I was like, "I'll, I'll look into it. And um, this school, it's called the New York Film Academy. They were going to come to Mexico to audition. And I got the email like a week later after I talked to him. Like, oh, we're going to go to Mexico City to audition people, you know, to to potentially give talent-based scholarships. And that was like two months after I received the email. And I uh, spoke to my mom about it. She was like, you know what? Get ready and audition. You have nothing to lose. So that's what I did. I started taking singing lessons because I went to musical theater school in New York. So I started taking singing. I'd never taken a singing lesson in my life. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to prepare myself. I started studying monologues. I got my material ready for the audition. Um, And when the moment came, uh, you know, I auditioned. And right after he was like, you know what? I am going to give you a scholarship, but I don't know how much yet. Mm. So I got really excited, really, really excited. Um, And when I got the letter, I was like, you know what, after the percent that they gave me, I can make it work. So I enrolled for the very next semester and I moved to New York in January, 2014. I don't know if I answered your question about Mexico City growing (laughs) up. I just told you how I got to move to New York. But before 
I moved to New York. Um, I, I, there is this stereotype. I mean, Mexico is mostly an impoverished country in most of its population. Um, you know, you don't choose where you're born. I was yeah. privileged enough to be born in a family that could provide, um, private education. You know, my school was bilingual since I was three. I started learning the colors at the same time in both languages. Um, my parents were very much into having me speak English, not only as a, at a basic level. Um, and um, they, they started sending me to summer camps in America when I was around 10 years old, mm -hmm. I think. So I would perfect my English. Um, so I was exposed. They, they got cable in English only, which I hated. <laughs> uh, but I, yeah, I was exposed to the language all my life. And people ask me like, how do you, how did you learn how to speak English? I, I feel like I didn't learn, you know, I like grew up yes. with it. I didn't have to, I mean, we did have English classes and half of my subjects in school were in English and half of them were in Spanish. So, you know, I, I just grew up with it. So I never had to go through like an extreme effort of, you know, sitting and I don't know, like, I, I guess it's older. I mean, I guess when you're older, it's really hard to learn a new yeah. language. I didn't have to go through that. So, that was a so real yeah. Blessing. Yes, exactly. And, um, and yeah, my parents were very much into having me perfect my English. And as I was telling you, I grew up in, in private Catholic school. It was an only girl school, very common where, I, where I'm from. Um, and I mean, my family is religious, but they're not like extreme. Like we wouldn't go to mass every Sunday. Yeah. And because they would teach us at school, like, oh, you have to go to mass or it's a sin. I'd yeah. be like, mom, dad, I think we have to go to mass. Like we're going to be in trouble if we don't. And they're <laughs> like, okay, fuck. you know, like, let's go. <laughs> Sorry if I just cursed. Um, so let's go to mass, I guess. Um, but yeah, I was, I was the one that was raised up in Catholic school by, you know, pretty strict people in that area and my parents were more relaxed about it that's yeah. good they yeah. didn't put that extra <laughs> pressure on you besides they didn't the nuns. at all at all I at all I was I was the one that was like I want to be a nun where I grow when I grow up and they were like oh maybe we have to change her <laughs> you know to another school <laughs> that's so funny that you say that because when I was little so I come from a very religious family as well but they're Protestants but when I saw nuns in like films all I could tell was that they were people that were devoted to God and I'm like oh I want to be a nun and then my parents are looking at me like we're Protestants we don't do the whole nun thing and I'm like because <laughs> when you're a kid you don't know the difference between Protestant and Catholics like you're on the Jesus club what's yeah, your problem? You have no idea. <laughs> yeah exactly you have no idea you have no idea but yeah, yeah, yeah. I was pretty much into it um, growing up. Yeah, for sure. I, was, I was as well <laughs> until I discovered boys. And then I found out that oh. nuns couldn't hook up with boys. I'm like, eh, I got to reconsider <laughs> this. <laughs> That's true. That's true. No, I was like, because we had them in our, in our school and they weren't nuns with habits. Yeah. That they were what they call consecrated women. Okay. So they would look, um, I mean, they still lived under celibacy. Yeah, but they they just looked like they were. I mean, they would just wear like long skirts, like a business attire with yeah. a with a longer skirt. Um, 
And I was like, what, what made you give everything up to yeah. do this? You know, and they would take us out to spiritual direction. All okay. the girls had to go through that. And I was just like, how, why, when, you know, when did you hear the voice of God telling you that you should follow him? I was like, so intrigued by them. And what would yeah. they say to you? What, what would be their reasoning? Um, they were just like, you know, I grew up and I wasn't fulfilled and I would go to parties and I had my boyfriend. This was like the, the basic one. Everyone had a different story, but and I wasn't happy and there had to be something else. There had to be something more. And then, um, I, I don't know, like I sat with one of the consecrated women and I looked how happy she was. And I was like, I think I, I need that. And then I went into missionary, you know, the missionary, um, mission, they call them missions. Like right. you go for a week into missions to like a very poor town. And I was like, I'm so privileged. God is asking me to follow him. I guess they just had like a life-changing experience that made them realize that there were more to life than just boys and, you know, parties. And they were like, God is calling me. Interesting. I, it's, it's very, it's very different for everybody. Yeah. But I remember hearing that a lot. Yeah, I've heard that as well. That people who've yeah. taken turns in their life where they were, f where they found themselves deeply unhappy, and then religion gave them a sense of purpose, exactly like the nuns exactly. there. Yeah, uh, yeah, describing. exactly. So, tell me something about your culture that you love. Honestly, I deeply love Mexico. I love how colorful. Our culture is. I love our food. I absolutely. Think I love your food. <laughs> that Mexican food is the best in the world. I love Japanese food as well, but it's so diverse. Internationally, I feel like people only know a few things yeah. about Mexican cuisine. It's not wrong, but I feel like if you go to Mexico, you will really experience it. I love the food, and I also love that we are very family oriented. I grew up with my cousins being like my brothers and sisters. We would get together at my grandparents' house with all my cousins, with all my aunts and uncles, and it would just be very family-oriented, you know? My parents were never like... I mean, we would sometimes hang out just the five of us in my house, yeah. my brother, my sister, and my parents. And But it was mostly about going out and meeting our extended family on both sides. We would travel with them as well. so. When yeah, we went on vacation, it was, you know, let's go, everyone. <laughs> that's really cool. That's something that I noticed in Argentina as well. So my brother is married to a girl whose family's from Chile, but she was raised in Argentina. And I went there for oh. the wedding last year. And that's exactly how it is. The families all go together. They go to the park for a barbecue, they hang out, have a few beers, grill some steak, and just have a nice time. It's, it's really yeah. different to the United States. Yeah. I mean, if we go for lunch to someone's house during on, on a Saturday or on a Sunday, it's lunch. And then it's not like you leave two hours later, yeah. lunch, and we sit and talk, and then we sit and talk, and then we have dessert, and then we have coffee, and then we sit and talk. And then someone brings another dessert. You know, we, it's just yes. like staying on the table lasts forever, forever. <laughs> and then it's yes. like, oh, the sun is setting. Maybe we'll go home, you yeah. know, or we can turn it into a dinner thing. Yes. Who's hungry for dinner? And then some bring, someone goes to the street and brings tacos for everyone. And yeah. we sit and talk. It lasts forever. 
<laughs> it's that's really yeah. nice <laughs> and very different from American culture. What's something? Yeah, about for cult- sure. What's something about your culture that you feel you can do without? Because the government is so corrupt, it also affects, for example, people that guard security in Mexico, like policemen. Mm-hmm. Police in Mexico is known to be really corrupt as well. And it is part of our culture that if you, um, I don't know, like you have, if instead of getting a speed ticket, mm-hmm. you would just pay the cop and he'll let you go. You know, like yeah. the saying is that they will, they'll, they'll just be like, oh, if you can give me something for my lunch, then I'll let you go. And you're like, okay, here's 20 bucks because they don't get paid as much. So they make more money being corrupt yeah. to support their families. It's not really like a, um, an excuse, but if, if you get where they are coming from as individuals, that's what I always thought. But you know, I, I mean, Mexico society is like that, you know, it's like, oh, just, we call it mordida, which means bite. So it's like, I just gave them a bite. Right. Like, I gave them a mordida, you know? Yeah. Like they I mean, stopped me because I was on my cell phone. I just gave them a bite. Yeah. I always like to say people are not good or bad. We are conditional. And if you don't create conditions in society where people can do the right thing, they're not gonna, they're gonna take care of their families. However it is that they can do it. And sometimes yeah. that means corruption, which is unfortunate. Yeah, for sure. Um, one time my car, I lost a, what do you call it? A plate? You know the number? The ser- yeah. The, re- the registration plate. The registration plate. Yeah. I went to the gym and when I was coming out, we have two in Mexico, like one yeah. in the front and one in the back. So I came out and I was missing one. I'm like, that's so weird. And it's usually because you were parking in a wrong spot and they took it because you got a ticket. So I went to get my, you know, to pay my ticket and it was never delivered at the office. Oh. And I was just like, did someone just steal it? That's so weird. So I had to get a new one. Right. So before I got a new one, I, I could be stopped anytime because you need both of them. Ah, yeah. Right. So, um, I cared very little about it. Um, time passed and one time a police stopped me, a cop stopped me and he wouldn't let me go. I was like, I'll, you know, give me the fine. I deserve the fine. Just give me the fine, whatever. And he'd be like, no, but trying to convince me for hours and hours and hours. And I was like, please just give me the fine. Like, it's okay. Yeah. And he'd be like, he would not let me go. He would not let me go. What did he want from you? Incredible money, Ah. money, just money. And when I was discussing with him, my mom called me and I was like, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to get my fine. And she was like, whatever, I'll just go pick you up. I didn't have any cash either. Yeah. And she was like, you know what? Whatever. Do you have cash? I was like, no, but I'll pay my fine. Like I deserve it. I'm, you know, driving without my plate. And she was like, no, you know what? I mean, not to throw my mom under the bus, but she was like, yeah, you know what? I'll just go and I'll give him some cash so he can let you go. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's definitely different. Yeah. What's something interesting or different about your culture that most people don't know? I don't think people know how diverse we all look as well in Mexico. I mean, we were conquered by Spaniards. Yes. Yeah. So of course, 
there was European mix everywhere, and there is lighter skinned people, blonde people with blue eyes or redhead people. And then there's, you know, because we were indigenous, yeah, it was all mixed. So some of us look mid, you know, in like something in between, more mixed than others, right? And whenever I I I came to the US because I was into acting, I was like, great. I mean, you know, I'm Mexican. And my teachers were like, yeah, but you don't look Mexican enough. So you could be Italian. And I'd be like, what What do you mean? So I, I, I wish that my culture were represented as it actually is. There's nothing wrong with being, you know, of indigenous descent, but I feel like it's so represented like that, um, within every media, you know, in Hollywood and media that whenever I travel and it's like, Oh, but you don't look Mexican. You know, right. I don't know, like it, it hurts. I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean I don't look Mexican? Have you been to Mexico? The answer you know, to that I, is no. So, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I feel like that's what people are, are surprised. You know, well, and it's not like I'm blonde either. So, yeah. I don't know. What was the other thing that you had mentioned when I asked about culture, the posadas? What is that? Oh, that yeah. Okay. So in Mexico, we have a tradition. You know how piñatas come from Mexico, yeah. right? Not a lot of people know that the, or, the origin of piñatas are not actually from birthday parties. Okay. We have a tradition in Mexico. We are a very Catholic country. Um, we are mostly Catholic in our majority. And the posadas are a, a Catholic tradition um, around Christmas. And... They say that before Christmas time, you should uh, go to at least eight posadas. I think it's eight. I may be wrong. To prepare yourself for Christmas, right? Honestly, posadas have turned into parties. They're social gatherings where people go and they sing like a, a you know a religious song with um with candles, asking people. I don't know. It's I don't know how to explain it. Like there's a lot of things that happen in posadas and piñatas. Uh, were originated in posadas. Okay. Yeah. So what the meaning of a piñata actually is, is that original piñatas, I mean, now they make all kinds of shapes, right? But original piñatas, I don't know if you've seen them, they're, they look like stars. Yes. And they're just a circle and they have seven stars. I mean, seven, uh, what do you call them? The, the like the spikes. The spikes that come out, yeah. Like the spikes that come out, right? The points. And, yeah, the points. The seven spikes mean the seven capital sins. You know, the tradition says that you're hitting the sins. That's why you hit the piñata. Ah. And when you break it, the grace of God, which is the candy, yeah, comes out because you, you know, you fought against the sin. It's fascinating. So I, yeah, that's where piñatas come from. I did not know that. So posadas, there you go, lads. Something new that I'm sure nobody in my audience would have heard of before. <laughs> No, but yeah, you can Google it. True. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you. You're authentically from there. (laughs) So what was like the most difficult thing you had to overcome in terms of adapting to American culture once you did make the move? Once I did make the move, um, I, I really, because I am in New York, I know that New York is not like the rest of America, but New York is really diverse. So I never really felt like I was a, 
I mean, I knew that I was a foreign person, but there is so much diversity and there's so many cultures in this city that I never really felt like I had to leave something out of my culture to adapt here. Like everything is welcome, you know? Um, So also because I grew up watching American entertainment, I could understand the American, you know, jokes and what people were talking about. And I, one thing I have to say, because I started studying musical theater, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know that musical theater was so big here in the U.S. It is an American art form. And I thought that the musicals were like The Phantom of the Opera, Wicked, Les Mis, and The Sound of Music at the beginning of times, you know, and they have so many musicals, so many. I was impressed by how um, big musicals are in America and how much part of their culture it is. Um, And I had to learn a lot about that. Like I thought I knew, but I knew nothing. So So that's something that I learned from them. So when you went there, did you go straight to theater or were you trying to get work wherever you could? What were the avenues that you pursued? What do you mean with the avenues? The avenues for acting. Were you trying to get commercial work? Were you trying to get work in theater? Yeah. Um, Well, when I studied, I did musical theater. But once I graduated, I started going kind of for everything. Um, I got, even though I mostly got trained on musical theater, thankfully the program that I was in was very much aware that living as a musical theater performer is not always, you know, it doesn't pay much Mm because theater doesn't pay much unless you're on Broadway, but there are so many kinds of theaters here, off Broadway, off, off Broadway, indie theater, you know, you have to build your resume. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started auditioning mainly for uh, indie theater. And then I got an agent and he started to send me for a lot of, um, commercial auditions which I for me you know it's it's interesting because um a lot of tours they a lot of people tour within the U.S. when they do musicals musicals go on tour I was or they can go on a cruise ship okay right yeah so it's it's like oh the biggest gig is for you to go to a cruise ship because you save on rent and then you travel and then they pay for everything and you just earn money and I was never really into going on a cruise ship for you know six months um you know I had I started dating my now he's my husband but he was my boyfriend back then when when I got my artist visa and I was like you know what I don't feel like going away for six months like I I want to say New York. I also, it was, it's hard. You can just audition, audition, audition and not make a living. Yeah. For me, it was very important to be financially secure first and then go through that whole hustle of auditioning. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's tricky because once you graduate, I had a teacher that once said to me, you know, like you have to find something. Your job as an actor is to audition, but you're not going to live of it because you don't get paid to go to auditions. Yeah. And you're going to have to find something that doesn't make you miserable that you can endure, <laughs> you know? Yes. And that will you can make a living off 
So some people go into the service industry and, you know, bartenders get paid so much in on tips. Yeah. I, I never pursued that, not just because it didn't, it didn't call my attention at all. I really thought I was going to be miserable doing that. Um, And my artist visa only allows me to work as an artist. Ah, okay. So it was very tricky because I had the artist visa. I can only work as an artist and I'm pursuing acting and not booking jobs all the time. So it was like really, really tricky. So what I ended up doing as a survival job was to be a teaching artist. Mm, tell me so, about you that. Know, my, yeah, sure. So my artistic skills, you know, I play the guitar, my storytelling abilities. I use that to create classes. And there are a couple of organizations in New York that um, need teaching artists. And they send them all over to to public schools sure. to give uh, uh, how to make your own puppet or an introduction to improvisation, and that's what I started doing as a living to teach. That's really and cool. And I love it, yeah, because yeah. I actually really like kids. So yeah, so, that's yeah. a re- that's a really interesting thing because yeah, exactly like you said, most people when they get kind of stuck for money, they usually go into the hospitality industry, and that's kind of the you know, easy thing. It's still a very social job, but no, teaching that, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. Tell me about a time in your life when things didn't go away. How did you recover from it? it getting the artist visa was extremely stressful. It was extreme, extremely stressful. When I was waiting for, for the response for the first one, I was in Mexico. I waited for it in Mexico. But they give it to you for three years, and then you have to renew it. So by the time I had to renew it, I, was, I had already lived in New York for five years. Two years studying, and then three years working. Yeah. Um, and I applied for my next artist visa, and my lawyer was really confident. You spent so much money you know, trying to, um, to get the visa again, because you have to pay the lawyer. I don't have the nerve to do it by myself. A lot of people do, and they get a, a positive response. I didn't trust my, you know, my skills for that. So I hired a lawyer. Um, and she was really confident. It was the, the first visa I got before Trump was elected. And the okay. second visa I got after Trump was elected. Ooh. And I got something that we call an RFE, which is what it's a request for more evidence. Okay. And that meant that immigration was requiring for me more evidence to prove that I was, because it's a talent based visa, immigration required more evidence to prove that I was talented enough to get the visa. But I had already gotten it. You know, it was a renewal. Yeah. I freaked out. I was like, that's it. I'm going to go back to Mexico. (laughs) They don't want me. It's Trump. And my lawyer was like, yeah, it could happen. You know, under the Trump administration, people are being much more severe about these work visas. And between the time when I got that RFE until when I submitted and I got the response, it was like six months. And for six months, I was just like, what what am I going to do? I was already living with my boyfriend for like yeah. a year and a half or two, I don't remember. 
I was like, why don't I'm going to go back to Mexico and this is going to be it. You know, everything that I've worked for, everything that my friends, you know, my relationship, this is it. And honestly, it was extremely getting everything that they required. Cause I mean, they give you the guidelines and it was like, if you have an Oscar nomination, if you've won an Emmy, I was like, what the heck? I mean, what percentage of what? the acting community exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I was like, this is impossible. What do they want from me? So yeah, it was pretty stressful. And I got as much as I could. Every production that I had worked with before, I begged them for recommendation letters, but not just like, oh, she's like, okay. And we worked. I was like, you have to praise me. You have no <laughs> idea what this is. Yeah. I mean, I'm so sorry. I can write it for you and I'll praise myself, but you have to, it, 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 you know, I can't not, I can't lose. Yeah. You know, I was like, it was really stressful. So it was that period of time. Oh, and then my, my current visa that, that I had got expired. So for like a month, my grace period, I couldn't work. Oh, geez. I was just like stuck at home Limbo. doing yoga. Yeah. 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 It was really stressful. And then I, I actually bought my ticket to go back home just to not abuse of my grace period. I was like, you know what? I'll just wait back home because the answer is not coming. And two days before I flew to Mexico, I got a, the positive response that it was oh accepted. And I was like, oh. so I actually went back home to just get my stamp and come back. That's all right. Yeah. What got, what got you through that period? Was it your relationship with your boyfriend? Were there friendships of people around you? Because I feel like when people go through really difficult times like that, it's often the close relationships around them that yeah. give them the support they need to stay sane in such an uncertain time. What yeah. was it for you? It, I mean, my boyfriend was really helpful for sure. He was most, pos- he is the most positive person I know. And he kept saying, you know, if you're going to get it and if you don't, we'll work through it. You know, maybe I can go live in Mexico. And for a little while, it was just because he was, he was waiting for his um, citizenship he was like, I can't leave the country if I want to get a citizenship. Yeah. He's Colombian. Right. And he's a green card holder. But he was like, I'm waiting for my citizenship. And, you know, if you have to go back to Mexico, we can do long distance. And then, I don't know, we can marry. And then you can come and we will wait three. I was like, we had to wait three years if I didn't get it for me to oh, come wow. back to the U.S. So I was just like, if it happens, I will be really depressed and I don't know what I'll do back home but it, it'll happen and I think what really because I knew the consequences it was it wasn't like oh I'll get a denial and then I don't know I'll come back it wasn't gonna be an easy thing you know yeah um but I think for those six months it was it was really hard on my relationship too I can it imagine. was really something that we had to overcome together because I was really negative and then there, I had like positive days and then I had like really negative days and I was chasing people. Um, one of, one of the recommendations that my lawyer gave me was, um, if I knew anybody in the entertainment industry, um, internationally, cause I had to be internationally recognized to get okay. the visa. Right. If I knew anybody internationally to get a recommendation letter from them. Jesus. And I don't know how the heck I thought of a friend that I made in um, during a, a, a period of my life that I went to boarding school. <laughs> 
and she's from Spain and her dad is a singer in Spain. And I was like, uh, okay, I'll try to get a letter from him. But he's like a famous singer in Spain. I was like, this is going to be really hard. She was so nice. He was so nice. And they sent me a letter and she was like, this is going to be really good for your case. So, you know, I just had to like look into every single possibility possibility that I could yeah so sometimes once I started to get you know once I started to gather and gather and gather and gather things and I was just like how can they say no after I've got so many things if they say no like screw them like really but But yeah you, you really had to persevere though and just push through it my goodness yeah it was hard I'm not gonna lie but yeah Oh, it's you're now, there now really different. Now we're dealing with coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, How has this virus affected your business? Because it's kind of decimated like the indie film industry here in Ireland. I am jobless currently. But we can't we can't socialize and acting is a social project. Yeah. And teaching because yeah. schools are closed. Everything got canceled. Jesus. Yeah. Do you, do you guys have any support there for the go- from the government in terms of like some kind of layoff benefit? I heard that they were going to give every American like $1,500, just like a check. That if every American that didn't, you know, that whose income was less to something, like a, yeah. a certain amount. I can't remember. Um... I'm not sure if I would qualify because I'm not American. I don't know if it's for all taxpayers or if it's just for Americans. So there, there would be benefits. I I heard there's going to be this specific benefit for Americans who make less than a certain amount of money. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be for taxpayers too, which is people who are residents that have a green card and people who have work visas. But it's it's going to be really tough on a lot of people. Have they shut down yeah. New York yet? We are still allowed to go out to exercise. Um, but, you know, if you're going to be by yourself, we're not allowed to go get gross, not in groups. Parks just closed playgrounds today. And I mean, during the weekend, I went for a run to the park. And there were people playing basketball. I was like, what is going on? I mean, aren't we supposed to exercise by ourselves? That's a contact sport. (laughs) Because, yeah. And, you know, we had a beautiful spring day on Sunday. So people were just out and about. And they just actually did something about it. But today. Yeah. So you're not allowed to do that anymore. (laughs) No group sports. Yeah, same here. The Taoiseach, a Taoiseach is our, our, our Irish prime minister. Um, he just came out in the news saying that until April 19, we're to continue the social distancing. No more than four people can congregate outdoors at one time. You can only have so many people in the grocery shops. They're closing down gyms, bingo halls, community centers. Yeah. Pubs have been closed for last week and a half. But yeah, yeah. it's getting real. It's getting real. It's no one thought of it. No. Honestly, no, it would escalate. no one thought it would escalate to this. It's insane. I mean, now New York is the the place where um, I mean, it was uh, before it was Washington State. We're actually going to move to Washington State to Seattle 
uh, for my husband's work. And we were going to move at the beginning of April. And it was like, people were like, are you going to move? That's where the coronavirus is as it is at its worst. And now they now currently Washington state has like 2000 something cases and New York has like 20 something thousand cases. Jesus. So, and this was just in one week. They, everything has been shut down like businesses, of course, theaters, schools, restaurants, restaurants are allowed to do delivery. Yeah. Same. You can pick up, but people can't sit there. Yeah. Yeah. I heard the um, liquor industry is, doing really well (laughs) (laughs) yeah because everybody's gonna sit home and get drunk (laughs) literally they were interviewing and a liquor store owner and he was like i was looking at the sales record and i thought it was a mistake but no we're doing really good so yeah silver lining to everything some businesses are going to suffer really badly others are going to thrive grocery stores like you can't, they can't stock them up fast enough for people are just taking everything off the shelves. It's unreal. It's like, they're not running yeah. out. Relax. Yeah. Just say what you need. Absolutely. So what's the best business advice you've ever gotten? Well, for business advice, for acting, just be the v- best version of yourself, you know, and just be yourself. People don't want to, people can tell when you walk into a room auditioning Yeah, and you know, if you're just like chill, it's people behind that <laughs> um, table. They're people. They just want people to work with. And um, it's, you can do the best job at an audition and you can be not the right person for the role. And that's yeah. it. It's not your fault. It doesn't mean you're not talented. Um, it can be anything, you know? Yeah you're too tall, you're too short, they need someone uh, more athletic, they need someone who looks more innocent. It's not your, you know, like, there's absolutely nothing you can do. Of course, your work as an actor, you know, prepare for your audition. And if you're going to be auditioning for a stripper, maybe don't wear a nun dress. You know what I mean? (laughs) Maybe you have something more. I mean, I'm just thinking. Yeah, present yourself. According to the role. Exactly. But, you know, everything else is out of your hands and let it go. And I think the that's business oriented. And the other uh, advice is that, um, and this is just for life in general, is that you are responsible for your own happiness. Yeah, I happiness. love that. <laughs> yeah. I, had, I had a friend of mine say that, you're not responsible for how messed up you are, but it's your responsibility to make yourself better. It's like, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Because I mean, if we're not going to take responsibility for ourselves, nobody else is. That's true. And how many times, I mean, it's something that uh, for me personally, it was a learning process. Yeah. Um, you know, I would always blame someone if something went wrong or I don't know, my parents, my siblings, even my boyfriend, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just not up to anybody but yourself yeah, to make you happy. And that's, and that's it. Yeah. And when you own that, I think you uh, resolve a lot of problems in your lives, a lot of conflicts that you might've had with other people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Your relationships, you gain perspective too. Yeah. You know, when you stop blaming people, 
you gain perspective and I feel like your personal relationships are better as well. If you take responsibility for your happiness, <laughs> I believe. So how do you deal with disappointment? How do I deal with disappointment? I feel like in life in general. Sure. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of disappointment in, in my career when you're a struggling actor. Yeah. Right. Um, Honestly, I, I don't think my, I used to think that, you know, it was everything I fought for my career. And, um, we were always told like, if you don't work hard enough, you have to work so hard and you have to work so hard and you have to work so hard, but it's also, most of it, it's also luck, you know, when it comes to, to this career, of course you have to work hard enough. Um, and now you know, you can also, um, it, it's really recommended that you, um, do your own things as well, your own projects, like, oh, I'm not getting seen or I'm not getting cast and do your own play, do your own, um, short film. Yeah. Um, I got a little, a, a little lost in what I wanted to say. Um, what was the question? <laughs> how do you deal with how do you deal with disappointment? disappointment okay all right so by the end I what I what I really wanted to say was that um profession is not the most important thing in life either you know yeah. at the end of the day um there's other things that you can that you should also take care of yeah um your relationships you know your family your friends at the end of the day, you can be the most successful person in the world and you can have the crappiest life and be the loneliest person. Absolutely. So, and relationships need your energy too. Yeah. You have to put energy and work into, into them, into friends, you know? I mean, friends are such an important part of my life. And now that I, that I live abroad, I, I, um, I have a hard time sometimes staying in touch with the friends that I have back home. They right. are my best friends, you know, the, the girls that I grew up with during high school, my friends from college. I, I'm very blessed to have really good friends. And, um, and months will go by and years will go by. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't called this person in such a long time. I should maybe make time for that, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's something that... The question was, how do I deal with disappointment? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that just putting the energy into into my present life and not getting obsessed with my career because yeah. you never know how it's gonna go. Yeah. Not getting obsessed with the future, just living in the present, and um, and that's it. You know, if I'm not work a working actor today, that doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. Exactly. Maybe You're, someday I'll find, yeah, maybe someday, you know, it'll start going up. And for now, what I have is also good. So yeah, very, I feel like that's, yeah. It's a very positive outlook when you can see yourself as a full human being that has multiple dimensions to you. You're a friend, you're a partner to somebody, you're a daughter, and you nurture the other things that are of value. And you don't get hyper obsessed about this one aspect of your life. So that's yeah, really good advice. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to ask you something else because you said started out in college doing directing and you shifted to 
acting. What was it about acting that really appealed to you? What was the creative expression that that offered you that directing didn't? You know, um, I think I discovered it later when I started training for acting. It's really, I mean, yes, the fact that you can tell stories, but you can also tell stories through directing. Yeah. Um, first of all, it was really therapeutic. Mm. Um, like putting you yourself know, in the mindset of a character and experiencing a chunk of life through their eyes. Yes, or lending characters my own, my own experiences because mm. you're not the character. Correct. But you use your own experiences to give life to that character. Cause as humans, we, you know, we relate with experiences and with feelings and with traumas or with obstacles. Absolutely. So it was lending that from my life to the characters. And then once the scene was done, once the play is done, it's gone, you know, it stays there. So that, I, I don't know. I, it was really therapeutic for me to do it. And, um, I, I am the kind of person that needs an outlet and it was the perfect outlet. I don't know if it makes sense. No, it, it was does. The perfect outlet. Yeah. To, even to experience things that I, of myself that I didn't know I had in me, mm. you know? It just, it, yeah, it just made my life more zen. <laughs> <laughs> Acting for therapy. You heard it here last. <laughs> Acting for therapy. It was really therapeutic. And I mean, also, I love the whole creative process of it and discovering a character. Um, I love comedy. I really do. So having that outlet of comedy, I, I, we, we made a play, um, some Mexican friends and myself. It was called telenovela 101 and it was mm -hmm. a parody of telenovelas and I got to play the evil mother and it was just you know it was a parody of how ridiculous telenovelas are yeah and they um, are in fairness <laughs> and they are and they are and comedy is is also great you know I I love making people laugh I like maybe I mean it sounds a little weird but I like making people cry as well not that I like <laughs> but I'm like I want you to feel, you know, I yeah. want you to empathize. Yeah. And the yeah. fact that we can all empathize by seeing a story, it just makes me really happy. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're definitely doing what you should be doing anyway. Because it sounds like it has a lot, it, fill, it fills a lot of different needs in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So final question. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you first moved to New York? Um, I wish I knew that hard work pays off. I mean, I, I, I worked, you know, even though I was getting paid in my first jobs, very little, I remember I gave it my all, you know, that that would be worth it. Cause there was a period of time where I was working like Monday through Sunday. Um, and I, I was burning out for sure. You know, I had no social life. I had no time for myself. It was exhausting. I couldn't even pay attention to my acting career. 
And I, it took me like a year and a half to start giving up things for my own sanity um, and to let go of money. Cause I was like, money, I need money. You know, <laughs> I, I was okay. I was okay. I was, cause I was working so much. Yeah. It was just, you know, it took me a while to be smart and invest my time and energy and things that were going to be maybe overall, I'll, I would get a little less money, but it was going to be better for me. You know, it was going to yeah. take less time and I was going to have more time for myself. So it was like a, a, a rough one year and a half that I went through knowing how to deal with all of that. And I also had no creative outlet at all, or it started being very monotonous. So yeah. my creative outlet was zero. I was like, I moved, I left everything to be an actor and I'm just working to pay rent. What is this? You know? So I feel like if I could, if I could go back and to the Lorena that I was before, I wish I knew that everything was going to be okay. And that what I was working for was going to pay off later. That's brilliant. That's really yeah. good advice. <laughs> Lorena, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for sharing a bit of your life and of your story. It's always nice to get perspectives of people um, in different countries because I usually interview people who've come from different countries to Ireland, but every now and mm -hmm. then I catch a few um, individuals who's gone to America. So it's nice to get like the different, to contrast the difference in their experience. So for anyone who is interested in finding out more about Lorena, you can find her at her website and lorenadelpino.com. That is L-O-R-E-N-A-D-E-L-P-I-N-O.com. I'm going to put a link in the show notes and you can also find her on Instagram. And if you're thinking of moving to Ireland, you can check out our partners at movingtoireland.com with all the latest news and updates on what's happening here in the Emerald Isle. That is movingthenumber2ireland.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. And share your favorite podcast episodes and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until the next journey, ciao.